everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Future of Co-Living. And today I'm excited to have a very interesting person on board on the show. He is a software engineer from New York. He is French-Danish, and he has a background within many different things, everything from photography to renovation and plumbing. And he has co-founded many companies, uh, for example, Light Architect and Luckily. And his latest endeavor is getting into co-op living, meaning co-owning buildings together. And he is specializing specifically in sustainable living and organizing co-op living and co-living in castles. So instead of uh, living in your studio apartment in your city, you can now move on to the countryside house and live in a castle. And fun fact about him is that uh, he has seen many different layers of society. He has been everything from homeless to dining with billionaires. He refers to himself as being blunt. And he says that he has a hard time with authority in general. So maybe that's why he's making it affordable to live in castles now. Who knows? I am talking about Samuel Delesk, and he is the founder of OASA who organize co-living in castles. So uh, welcome to the show. I look forward to having you on board. Okay, welcome Samuel Delesk, founder of OASA. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Thank you. So, you have been working in software development for uh, many years, and now you have started a company focusing on co-op living. Uh, so tell me, like, how did that shift happen? Like, what was going on in your mind? <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, like you said, I've been working in tech for like 10 years, uh, and actually three years ago, I started working remotely for a software company. Um, and as soon as I started, I, I figured out I didn't want to just live in my apartment in New York and work remotely from there all the time because one of the main issues when you work remotely is that you are pretty lonely because it's hard to have a social life. You, know, you can feel a bit disconnected when you're just sitting on your screen all day. Um, so actually, I started uh, just like a quick uh, Google Sheet. It was called a Hackership. And the goal was to potentially buy like one of those big three-mast uh, sailboats and then I started doing a bit of research, seeing what already existed, and I stumbled upon a couple of projects like uh, Nomad Cruise and Coboat and some other co-living kind of projects on boats. Mm-hmm. Um, so that never really materialized, but um, two months later, I booked my, uh, my ticket for the first Nomad Cruise uh, that I was going to. Nomad Cruise 4 ended up not uh, making it to this one, but then I went to the next one on Nomad Cruise 5. And I'm really connected with uh, that audience, with those people. Um, It's a bunch of nomad entrepreneurs, and it's a really fun community. um, And kind of felt like I really found my my chosen family, basically. Um, And then at the same time, uh, I was also also started building a house in Philadelphia, which was just like traditional construction, basically. And um, I was thinking about building a sauna in the basement, but then that didn't really fully make sense. And I thought maybe I should uh, get a piece of land upstate New York and start building a little project there. And I was thinking about, yeah, like 
putting up some tiny houses or whatever. Um, and at the same time, the main aspect for me is like really like living together. So I didn't want to just have a tiny house and live by myself. So then the project grew a little bit and I was thinking, well, maybe the, the goal is really to build like a big house that you can share. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it started. Um, but you decided to go for the, the big buck, not just a big house. You decided to go for castles. <laughs> yeah, so that, that came a bit further down the road. So, mm-hmm. I mean, really, like, uh, the goal for me was to reconnect uh, my values uh, and my alignment with uh, how I was living my life and how I was working. And because I felt a bit disconnected just working on a laptop all day, writing code for a company, and it's all very abstract. Like, you can be sitting on a on a beach somewhere beautiful and you're just typing out some code. Um, so really the goal was to do some things that met, uh, that had importance to me and really like the core principle of OASA is being sustainable. So that's really the first value. Um, and so I started researching what are all the kind of technologies that you can implement in a house to make it more sustainable. So for example, if you start a house from, from the ground up, like, what are some of the things that are important? And for example, um, when buying a beautiful plot of land, I didn't want to just go in with the builders and like destroy nature and uh, just like, yeah, like mm. completely de- well, de- denaturalize a place. The idea is really to, to be in harmony with it. Um, so I started doing that research and then uh, I started scouting land up in, yeah, upstate New York, like you said. Um, I found a few properties that were pretty promising and started working with an architect, Ian, um, who is also based in New York. And he actually brought his uh, thesis on nomadism. So it was a great fit. And we really started thinking from the bottom up uh, what creates community when you build a place. And we started looking at all types of different shapes and whatnot. And so the shape that we ended up on for the project Upstate New York was, um, well, we wanted to build A-frames because they are really efficient in terms of energy and construction. And then we looked into what kind of shape can promote uh, communal living. So we uh, ended up on like a crust A-frame where you would have four separate units, each facing their own views of nature. So you'd have a private view of nature where you can have your own bedroom, bathroom, whatever. And you just like facing nature, you can step out. But then when you turn the other way and you face uh, the epicenter of the, the, the star, basically, and that's where the community happened and where you can meet people. The epicenter um, of the star? The, yeah, well, of the cross, like for the A-frame design that we had in mind. Because we yeah, looked okay, at yeah, cool. a different design, like uh, like you can do clusters, you can do all kinds of different um, space arrangements that can promote communal living. Because um, one of the main challenges with co-living is that you have to find the right mix between privacy and community. And so that's really like the, the trick, uh, I think. And what some co-living spaces aren't really getting right. And when they don't, then it's just not right. Like introverts are going to feel like they, they're oppressed if they're amongst people. And extroverts are going to feel like, why is another space to connect and whatnot? So you really have to have like the right mix of, uh, of space arrangements. Um, but so in the end, like uh, upstate New York wasn't really my target audience because I'm really targeting nomad entrepreneurs. So then I started scouting land in South Africa. We spent a lot of time last year. And we almost had on a property 40 minutes south of uh, Cape Town 
a beautiful property in Mystic Cliffs, which is stuck between like the, the cliffs and the ocean. Um, and it's like a three minutes okay. walk, walk down to the beach. It, uh, yeah, I really fell in love with the place. Uh, you have some of the best surfing spots, kite surfing. You can go and swim with like sharks and dolphins mm-hmm. nearby in Simonstown. You can go on hikes in uh, Cape Point. Um, yeah, and then in the end, uh, I think like real estate is like the the big trick is like location. So like picking the right location mm-hmm. to start with is really hard. So that's why also this project didn't end up materialized because uh, the local economy was not so good in South America and it's been going a bit down. So it was a bit risky. So now we've really set our eyes on Portugal and that's where we're going to be building the first mm-hmm. co-living space. Um, and so I've been scouting land in Portugal and also looking uh, at different options. And so the latest development is that we are looking at buying a castle, uh, so an existing structure, because I thought, well, what's more sustainable than just taking something that's already there and making it more sustainable? So instead of um, building something new, and even if you take like eco materials, whatever, you're still going to end up being wasteful somehow and having um, some impact. So the idea is really to take some things that's already there, like an existing castle. Um, and yeah, and then just really play on a lot of trends going on in society where with more remote work, we are able to go out more out of the cities. And and I think people want to feel more connected to each other. So that's really why like the co-living aspect. Um, uh, yeah, I think finally, like one of the, big things that uh, for me is also about co-ops and yeah. so nice yeah i mean lisbon is also one of the biggest nomad hubs in the world right so that helps as well um <laughs> exactly like our goal is to be uh within like two hours of a nomad hub so lisbon is a good location nice so so tell me then so co-op living like what does that mean specifically and why co-op living and not just co-living as the leasing sort of service? Yeah. So um, I think one of the big, uh, big improvements that can be done in the co-living space right now is about ownership because people don't uh, own the places that they live in. And with all this uh productivized living that's going on and people wanting to just pay for like a monthly fee. Um, they also feel like they want to own something because at the end of the day, like if you spend 30 years paying rent to some company and you don't get out anything out of it, it's kind of a waste. Um, but at the other hand, like the traditional route of buying your own villa in the suburbs when you grow out, uh, out of mm-hmm. your little apartment and just living by yourself with your dog and your family, whatever. Um, but I think that model is getting a bit old and it's also like really wasteful because just like suburban life is just not really sustainable because you need to commute to the city. You have to maintain this big house with a lawn. Like lawns shouldn't even be there. Like there's no reason why we should be spending uh, all this water on, on lawns and all that stuff. Um, so really like uh, co-op living, I think, can offer an alternative to that. Uh, which is that you and the co-ops have been around for a long time. Like if you look at Denmark, it's actually super common. You can either uh, live in a co-op or live in a um, in a regular condo. Um, so the main difference is that uh, with a co-op, the 
you don't purchase the 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 property directly, but you purchase the uh, the right to live there. Um, and and then the co-op itself is a nonprofit which reinvests all of the benefits and everything, well, all the incomes that it generates in order to improve the property and all the maintenance and uh, upgrades and whatnot are decided by voting amongst the members. Um, so it's it's really a better way to um, to think about community living because um, you can, it's not just like a for-profit corporation and you have like diverging interests between the landlord and the people living there. And I think when, you, when it comes to where you're going to be spending the most part of your life, it's really important that you have uh, a vested interest in the place where you live. So really the main interest for us in setting up a, um, a co-op castle is that we want to have vested interest between all of our founding members. Um, so give everyone a stake in the, in the whole property. Uh, but and not just like give out profits to some venture capital firm that would own it. So that's really the key then to get some, uh, yeah, the vested interest you mentioned. Like, so it's more maybe midterm long staying and there's a lot of short term staying within co-living. And then there's, uh, I mean, if you buy a, a house for yourself, that's probably you have a plan to live there for at least 10 years. So I, maybe this is for the mid uh, term or what, what, what would you say? Uh, I think in terms of, yeah, how long you want to stay there. I mean, it's really up to you. But um, like, for example, in Denmark, you have uh, cooperatives that uh, have been existing for like decades and decades. And you have cooperatives for seniors, uh, people living together as they grow old. And it's just a great solution because seniors usually are very lonely when they grow old. So putting them in a a small community together just makes a lot of sense. Uh, And I mean, you also see the same thing for student housing and all kind of different co-living methods. Um, so, yeah, but like with Oasa, um, the, the short-term goal is, yeah, to set up, uh, I think a lot of nomad entrepreneurs are looking for a base, a place that they can call home, even if they don't spend the whole year there. So maybe maybe for you, a base means spending one month there, or maybe three months, or maybe nine months. Um, that's really up to you. Uh, and then... We want to keep that pretty flexible so that uh, over time we will see what what happens if people want to stay there forever, have families and mm-hmm. grow. Like I think uh, yeah. the, the, the community aspect is going to change with Oasis. Like we're going to start out of something and then the community is going to drive it to, to something else probably in the long term. Nice. So, I mean, basically, um, so what you're doing now, I mean, anyone can now pretty much live in a castle. Is that like, I, I, in a way, you, we could could we say that you are uh, democratizing luxury living? <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not? Um, I think people are not very rational sometimes when it comes to that kind of things. Um, and I think really, like, if you if you look at it logically, uh, everyone should just live in a castle because why not? You can literally buy a castle. For the same price as you would buy a decent apartment in the metropolis so like for the price of uh, the apartment that i lived in in new york uh, i could literally buy a castle here in portugal so instead of uh, having to be on the hook for that mortgage for 30 years and just be stuck at work and have to work for 30 years now i can 
just decide to share this castle with like 10 other people. And even though like maintenance costs and whatnot are a bit higher than a traditional apartment, if you mm-hmm. split it between 10 people, it's still going to be a whole lot cheaper. Um, and I think one of the goals as well with Oasa is really I want to be able to give financial freedom to people because if you're a nomad entrepreneur and you can already uh, live and work anywhere and you have that flexibility, then you should really take advantage of being able to live in places where the cost of living is cheaper so that you can not spend your entire paycheck living paycheck to paycheck, basically. Um, so instead, if you put that paycheck towards purchasing a, a place where you can actually see yourself living for many years to come, like a castle, and where you also have space to grow and a play, um, like really it's just like a, a playground. Like if you want to create new companies, whatever, like this just gives you so much flexibility because there's a community aspect where you do skill sharing, mastermind and whatnot, and really you can connect with those people. And um, yeah, basically like if you do the, the math a bit, I did it and you can basically acquire a castle and within like seven years or something like that, if you put your income into investing in that property, you can actually be fully financially independent by by the end of those seven years. How do you mean? Um... Well, I don't know if you heard the principle of uh, FIRE, uh, financial independence, retire early. It's like a... So it's it's way more popular in in America where like um, where it's not a because in Europe I think like it's great that we have all this safety and everything and we can just like kind of expect the state to to take care of us but really when you come to America and you see like there's no safety net or whatever like if you if you don't have an economic uh, uh, cushion behind you then you're just going to be uh, homeless which I actually experienced for a few days um, but. Yeah, so I think it's really important for people who are nomadic, nomad entrepreneurs to really like think about also like what's going to give them the most freedom in the future. Like if you're able to save a certain amount of your income every month and, for example, instead of paying Airbnb to stay in different places mm-hmm. around the world, if you can stay in a place where you actually acquire um, capital over time, like where you uh, gain a stake in the place where you live in, that's really going to accumulate over time and then whatever you end up deciding to do in five, 10 years, whatever, that's up to you, but you're going to have a lot more flexibility. So you're saying that by uh, purchasing a part of the castle, you will uh, pay a a cheaper monthly fee and you will be able to save that up over a period of seven years uh, so that you, yes. Yeah, exactly. So, (laughs) I mean, if you, if you, I'm just comparing, like, uh, for example, if you lived in a city, for seven years paying rent, uh, like say you pay $2,000 in rent in your tiny apartment in New York, and now instead you take that uh, income that you're making and you move into a castle that you co-own with some people. And then at the end of the seven years, you own your share of the castle and you're basically free to decide if you want to live there, if you want to live somewhere else, and you're not really tied down with like a huge 30-year mortgage that's like all on you and if like a crisis happened like right now i think it's a pretty relevant time um you see like what happens when people are really like stuck like when they're basically pushing the financial uh luck i want to call it a bit um like you have whether it's companies or people who like 
took too much debt and they bought an apartment in New York, which cost one and a half million dollars. And then the, the crisis happens, they lose their jobs, uh, market value goes down 20%. And now, like, what does it do? Like, this kind of screws over their life. So basically what you're saying is that you can buy a share in a castle and save money and live there as a base. And then you can live three months abroad per year or six months or whatever it is that you want. And then you can be better off financially in a period of seven years. That's a pretty sweet deal. I think so. That's why I'm yeah. doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seven years is a foreseeable future, right? It's not um, 30 years uh, plan ahead. It's seven years something you can actually plan for. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. Well, um, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. So would you, but you don't only do co-op in castles, you also have projects where you organize co-living in boats. Um, so tell me more about that. It's actually um, one of my dreams to uh, live on a boat at one period of, of my life. So I'm very excited to hear more. <laughs> yeah. So so basically we got together like a year and a half ago or something like that with um, my art director and uh, architect who I work with on Oasa. And really we just sat down and we thought like, what's living gonna look like in 2050? And how can we be living a more sustainable life? Mm. Um, and so really we tried to look at all the technological trends and things that might drive certain uh, trends into society, like for example, remote work and maybe like satellite connection for fast internet everywhere and self-driving cars and all that kind of stuff and how that's going to influence us. Um, and I think we can, we already have all the technologies to um, live sustainably in a house. We just have to put in the upfront investment and the effort to actually make a house sustainable. And we have a lot of lessons from decades of people already doing that in different communities. Mm. Um, but then the next step is we also don't want to just uh, have those sustainable houses, but then just fly from one country to the next and just completely uh, lose the benefit of having a low impact through the housing. Uh, so I started thinking, well, what if we had um, sailboats and we could just like sail from one of a house to the next? Like say if you have a house in a castle in Portugal and you have a beach house in Cape Town, um, then instead of just flying down like every six months because you're just spending your time between the two and maybe there could be like a sailboat and you share it with, with like your close friends basically like those five or ten entrepreneurs who are also looking to go down to uh, and do like a little migration and instead of spending 20 hours on the plane you're going to be spending a couple of weeks on the water learning new skills build uh, team building with your new and old friends and uh, it's just like a great experience and I think uh, we as nomad entrepreneurs, we have so much luck to be able to do that, to just like take the time off and actually have those experiences. And and then we can always like work on our companies when we arrive, when, wherever we arrive. Um, but really, like we should take the opportunity with that uh, flexibility to, to really have those experiences. And why not like um, try to have a lifestyle where we can actually be 100% uh, sustainable and not have any uh, impact on the planet. Yeah, it sounds amazing. 
So do you think that will be the uh, future of traveling uh, post-corona? I mean, I don't think that's going to be like the, <laughs> the main traveling or anything. Um, our primary goal is just to, to create alternatives. So you would mm -hmm. be able down the road to, to choose that path, that path if you want to. Uh, I mean, obviously, like not everyone has the time and has the ability to, to just be offline pretty much for two weeks. Um, but we just want to be able to, to have that opportunity um, so that for those that want, they actually are able to. So, and I mean, when I say that, I, I talk a lot about myself. Like that's what I want to do for myself. I want to be yeah. able to to live in those different places around the world, have those amazing properties, which are actually like fully sustainable, that have a community and uh, that grow its own like gardens and everything, and then be able to also travel between those properties. Uh, and I. I actually bought a sailboat a couple of years ago in New York. Uh, is it three years now? Yeah, three years. Um, so I was living on a sailboat in the summers uh, for, mm -hmm. for a couple of years already. Um, and just that feeling that you get when you go sailing uh, by yourself or like with a couple of friends and you're just out down the water and just there's no, no more rules, there's no authority. You can just go and duck anywhere. Um, sometimes I would go and duck in this beautiful little inlet in the middle of Williamsburg, like prime real estate in New York. And then I would just row to land at night and go out and eat in restaurants and go to the clouds, meet my friends. <laughs> and then I would just row back in the, in the night to my sailboat in the middle of the most beautiful place you can imagine. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm, I'm a big water person, so I I... Uh, I love that idea. <laughs> but you get easily seasick. I don't think it's for you, maybe. But um... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you you keep referring to uh, that you nomad entrepreneurs. For those listeners that don't exactly know what it means to be a nomad entrepreneur, would you mind explain what that means? Yeah, sure. Um, so basically, uh, digital nomadism is a movement that started in the 2000s or whatever uh, it was inspired by a few things but one of them is the four-hour work week um mm -hmm. uh, tim ferris um it's a it's a book it's a book right? yes yeah. <laughs> um and basically he just talks about creating a business that works for you rather than having a business that you have to work for so it's about uh automi automatizing processes and like setting up Instead of thinking of creating a billion-dollar company, just think about creating a company that can generate $1,500 a month or whatever you need to, to survive. Because once you reach that level, and you can automatize that. And it's pretty easy to get to a company that can create that small amount of revenue just for you to live on. Um, but then once you get that, you can just get absolute freedom because you're able to work from anywhere. You can just go and sit on a beach in Bali or whatever. And your business is just going to continue generating revenue for you. Um, so that movement has been growing. And I think I, I heard a number like uh, like one and a half million digital nomads at the moment or something like that. Um, well, at this uh, stage with the whole world in quarantine, I guess the whole world is <laughs> almost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now like you see, yeah, with COVID-19 and everyone being forced to work from home, now we can really see like, what's a percentage of jobs that can actually be done remotely. And that's really interesting because all of a sudden we have like 50% of the work population who is working remotely. 
And I'm pretty sure that after the quarantine is lifted, uh, companies will be very happy to not have to pay for offices and whatnot. And people will definitely be very happy to have the flexibility to work from home at least part of the time. Uh, so I think we're going to see a lot of that going forward. And it's just kind of a catalyst for it. I guess that if companies start realizing that people can work remotely, that op- does open up um, being able to to go on a boat for two weeks to travel and work whilst doing it um, instead of flying, which is a more sustainable way of traveling, right? Um, that could be something. Yeah. And I think in general, people are also um, getting more aware of like work-life balance, like the American dream of uh working for working 40 hours a week the whole year and just have your two-week vacation where you go to Mexico and blow all your money on a resort. That, that dream is kind of uh, fading away a little bit. I don't think too many people are dear to it. And I think uh, I think even companies, like they, they realize that, well, like if you need to take a couple of weeks and really disconnect from from your work or whatever like that's totally okay like i work for a company right now we have unlimited vacation for example and i know it's like a tech thing and like we're a bit on the not everyone is able to do that but it still shows like that there's potential in the future for just giving way way more freedom to to employees to really do what, what they they need to do and give them more um, authority over their own life and more control and being able to be more creative uh, and I think the 21st century is kind of the century of creativity we're not no longer like machines uh, that have mm-hmm. to work in factories like we already have machines doing that so now we need the big skills that that's valuable is creativity yeah I mean so it's basically about the the, uh, the company starting to trust more that the employees know how they will be the most productive right yeah but I think it's uh, like when you t- because companies can no longer measure success of an employee by seeing how many products they made. They can. Uh, it's all about like the social capital that you have as a company mm-hmm. to be able to be innovative and creative and come up with solutions that people actually connect with. Um, and also, like in the technological field, like it's about creating solutions that are really like scalable so if you're able to do those super scalable solutions and have like creative processes and more fluid social capital then you also have to allow for the creative creativity to grow yeah so moving back to uh co-living again (laughs) that's all very much interesting a lot of interesting subjects um so if you think like looking ahead now um you're into co-op living uh what other alternative ways of living do you foresee popping up in the future? Thinking ahead, when, 5, 10, 50 years from now, um, what do you see? I think there's a lot of little trends of people trying to do things differently. Uh, I think a lot about sustainability, like people who feel like climate guilt and who feel like uh, kind of submerged by by that feeling of not being able to act on it. And so you see a lot of things like uh, tiny homes, people going like full on rural, living on, in tiny houses, completely off-grid. And, mm-hmm. um, and then you also see like more eco-villages, people going out in communities. Um, I mean, kind of like we're trying to do with Oasa, but you have communities like uh, Sende or um, 
Pandora Hub um, and Mutinry in France. Um, they're all kind of alternative uh, eco villages, but they're like more focused on digital um, nomads, basically, or like people who are able to work remotely. So I think that's like some, and then there's also at the same time the more industrial groups. There's all the big like corporate co-living things going on. Uh, you see a lot of articles about like India, China building thousands and thousands of mm-hmm. co-living projects, um, which is at, like at a huge scale. Um, and I think like I mean they'll be like a part of it. Like especially in the cities, we'll see a lot more of that. Instead of like having a big apartment, uh, people uh, won't really be able to afford that. So maybe they'll decide to just live like have a, a room in a co-living space like a lot of people are doing already or also in india and whatnot um and i think we'll see a lot more intentional communities in the future um because i think a lot of people feel very disconnected with the ways that they live and the ways that they work and i think people really want to reconnect and find their tribe again mm. Which would probably just be even more accelerated by this Corona crisis. Yeah, I actually, yeah. I actually looked into the Google searches on co-living in Sweden, and it the searches for co-living in Sweden has absolutely spiked during March compared to the rest of the year. So it's interesting. I would think that's because there's a lot of single households here uh, that are now not being feeling quite lonely. So we'll see what happens. Um. Yeah, I, I find it quite funny that everyone is just living my life now. Like everyone is uh, <laughs> just working from home alone and on the laptop all day. So I feel like they, they get to experience what I've been living for the last three years. And I think everyone is going to start having the same idea. And in fact, like I'm hearing a lot of people who have interest in Oasa just reaching out and being like, hey, like I've been thinking exactly about this. Like, uh, so I think, it, yeah, it's definitely going to be a, a catalyst. Interesting. So looking ahead, then, do you have any other dream co-living projects that you would like to start up that you're uh, not already uh, working on? Um, co-living yeah, on March, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so it's funny because like, I, I don't really, uh, like Oasa, we really define ourselves as a platform for finding sustainable ways to travel and live together um, so we don't not really closing ourselves off to just like building like eco cabins or like living castles or doing sailboats or whatever and in fact like a couple of days ago i was talking with someone who owns an island out in the bora bora and she's really in- interested in uh, sustainability and actually like her whole island is run from like fully renewable sources she has a um, a water turbine which is uh, set in an opening in the reef which makes that all the energy from the current going in and out of the reef uh, during tides is what generates electricity for our island and I mean it's it's obviously like a dream like Bora Bora is like the ultimate like uh, island dream destination um, but so we actually just launched that on Oasa we're going to be doing a collaboration I think in uh, November, possibly, we'll be mm-hmm. uh, setting up a one-month retreat there in partnership, and then we'll see how it goes. But um, if we have like interest, then we might develop these kind of uh, uh, oases ar- around the world, uh, just like little 
hidden spots where you can go and still be productive from. Um, nice. Actually, as my main worry about Bora Bora was uh, the internet, because right now they don't have a fiber connection, so internet is a bit spotty. Uh, and I have a friend who lives in Bora Bora, and so I was on, the, on a call with her, and uh, she was telling me how the internet was pretty spotty. And that's obviously like, that's actually the number one thing that people ask for. I had a survey on OASA about um, what uh, what people, what kind of amenities people would want in an OASA property. And the number one is always Wi-Fi because no entrepreneurs need Wi-Fi to to survive, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I started looking into it a bit. And I mean, so the big hotels do satellite connections. So that's one option. But actually, uh, very surprisingly, there was um, a fiber optic cable that was part from Hawaii to Tahiti in 2010. And then they were establishing a connection from Tahiti to Bora Bora. And that's actually supposed to be completed in May 2020. So next week. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> so it's quite serendipitous. Um, so, I mean, there's probably going to be a bit of delay and whatnot, especially with the crisis. But I'm hoping that by end of year, they will have a fiber connection in Bora Bora. And then it just opens a whole new world of digital nomadic opportunities there. Right. That's, uh, so you said you mentioned like you did a t- retreat. What what does that um, mean? What does that include? Um, so I'm just thinking, I mean, it's mostly just to to basically give it a, a test run. Um, but I mean, it's obviously like an amazing location. You can see Bora Bora in the distance. There's uh, five cabins on the island with uh, like king-size bed and an extra sleeper sofa if you want to share it uh, with some people. And there's like all the amenities, there's plenty of water, there's too many coconuts. There's uh, a, um, a man living there full time and his job is to basically pick up coconuts because when the coconut fall down on the ground, then within a week apparently you can start growing a tree already. And then you just have too many trees, so you have to basically drink a lot of coconuts as so that would be our main job. Uh, but yeah, and also there's a lot of outdoor activities. You can, uh, we'll have our own scuba tanks and uh, kite surfing gear and you'll just be able to go and do that and just take some time to relax and who knows if there'll be a second wave of corona next uh, winter but for me personally i'm thinking if i'm stuck in bora bora for a few extra months i won't mind it uh, but yeah so november in bora bora right sounds terrible <laughs> <laughs> so um Nice. So to uh, wrap up then, um, so anyone who is interested in get going with co-op living then, what is your best advice? How do you get started? Um, yeah, so I mean, I think like the first thing you should do is try different things. Like there's so many different types of co-living projects that exist Um and I started putting together a list actually of, uh, I'll put it up on oasa.co slash co-living map. But uh, basically you can, depending on what's important to you, like do you want to stay there short term, long term? Do you want to do you want the place to be sustainable? Uh, how do you want the community to feel? Like should there be events, et cetera? Like, uh, it's a lot of like very personal factors. Um, and also like I think co-living as a general term is like, um doesn't really mean anything like it it should be like co-living for something 
So for example, OSI is co-living for nomad entrepreneurs, there's co-living for students, co-living for seniors, whatever. Uh, so you should really find like what is a community that you want to belong to and, and then just give it a try. Uh, test out some different platforms and yeah, and I hope you will join us at the Co-Living mm -hmm. Castle in Portugal. We are looking for the founding members. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for joining today and sharing more what it means about co-op living. So I am sure we will see more about that uh, in the future. Um, so, yeah, this was uh, Samuel Delesk the founder of Oasa. Um, yeah, do you, wanna, do you have anything else you want to share before we uh, end the show? Uh, not really. Thank you so much for having me and for doing this and for promoting uh, Better Living. Mm -hmm. And you can feel free to schedule a time to chat with me directly in oasa.co. There's a link to book a time with me. Nice. All right, check, check them out. It's oasa.com, right? dot co dot co oh, dot co oasa <laughs> o a s a dot c o all right check it out <laughs> thank you <laughs>